I do love talking about this stuff with you. It's a joy. I do too. And I do, I think I, you should open your mind and open your heart a little bit more to bringing Krampus into our family. I'm not trying to like. As long as you witness. open your heart and mind and bring in a third, I think that we, maybe the third can be Krampus. I think there's a compromise here. <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone can win this holiday season. <laughs> You better watch out, you better not cry, better not pout, I'm telling you why, Santa Claus is coming to town. (laughs) Hiya. Hey, thanks for joining me for this holiday bonus episode of HILF, History I'd Like to Fuck with Don Brody. I'm Don Brody. And that other voice you just heard is my husband, Andrew Melby. And this episode of Krampus was one of the first ever released. It was episode five, (laughs) to be exact. And I hope that you have as much fun revisiting it as I did. And stick around till the end for an update on what's happened in the two years since it was originally released. But for now, pull up a chair, get cozy around our table, help yourself to some hot grog, and prepare for the arrival of everyone's favorite yuletide demon, Krampus. <laughs> Let's get started. All the joy will be yours, that wonderful day, knocking on doors and shouting hooray, Santa Claus is coming to My past, my present, my future, but always my favorite F. <laughs> Andrew Melby. Now, most people are going, his name is Andrew. If they know you, they're like, who's Andrew? Because uh, you will probably hear me call him Melby. From here on out, that's your name. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people know me by Andrew. Most no. people know me by Melby, like the Spice Girl, Melby. Mm-hmm. And then, and the associations don't end there. Scary Spice. <laughs> the best Spice Girl. The be- Oh, this is news to me. The best Spice Girl? Mm-hmm. Why? I don't know. She just, she was like the most mature, I think, without the like toot of like posh spice. It was like, why do you think you're so cool? Yeah. And baby spice is obviously baby. <sighs> oh, you, no, you, you weren't in. I don't like the baby stuff. Yeah. Ugh. Infantizing. It's gross. With the tutu and like lots nah. of pigtails and stuff. Nah, scary spice. What about, like talk to me woman. about sporty. I feel like people like sporty is when you really know how people feel about themselves in the world. Is how they feel. Sporty. Yeah, me too. Yeah. She didn't like give the, a shit. I like the nose ring. You don't like the nose ring. I like the nose ring. I don't like her nose ring. I'm going to get two nose rings. Both in the same hole. No, on you. <laughs> No way. I'll know it's happening and I'll protest. I think my nose is too um, prominent a feature already that I think if I got a nose ring, they'd be like, yikes, we get it done. Take this how you will. It's like putting a nice <laughs> star on a Christmas tree. You go right to the star. You, are you, no one notices how large the tree is. Look at that nice star on that I don't tree. Know. I don't know. I think that they, you know, those little nipple covers they put on strippers. No, I've never that- seen them. I don't go to those stupid places. That doesn't that doesn't distract from the tree. That people are looking at the star and the whole tree. You can't compare strippers to Christmas trees. I just did. So Beatrice is at school and we have a little time sitting here and I my my husband, I don't even know if you know you assigned me this subject. We were out for a walk with the dog, with the baby, around the block, and um I was talking about what I might do for the holiday timed episode of Hilf, and you casually said, you should do Krampus. 
And I don't know if you knew that that was that <laughs> you had just assigned me Krampus and that you would be my guest. But I was like, whoa, Krampus is a great idea. And it'd be awesome to sit down with my real life husband and the H that I like to F so well. Because <laughs> because uh, it's a new podcast. You know, it's only our fifth episode. People are just getting to know us. And, and I, I have a hunch that um, they're about to get to know me and you a whole lot better. And I should say Krampus, for those of you who have never heard that name before, is sort of a, the, the short version is he's a spooky ass Christmas devil. Yeah, he sort of like goes around, um, you know, fucking up these kids that aren't doing right. It's like a better version of Elf on the Shelf. <laughs> it's a really good way of putting it. Yeah. I've been carrying around this book uh, that I've been reading for a while, and I've, you've been doing your best at not sneaking peeks and trying not to know too much about it in advance. But before we get into this spooky-ass Christmas devil, you, you, um, I'll give a little bit, and then you, f- you fill in the gaps. Okay, what, what the folks need to know. Um, we met all in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You were a film student. I auditioned for your student film. Um, we didn't smooch, though. We were buddies for a while, then we smooched. Moved in together, lived aboard a houseboat on the Mississippi River for a while. Um, I lived on it for three years. Melby moved in. Then we stayed another six. Then we got into an RV. We drove out here to California. Lived in an RV in Van Nuys, this, this weird little trailer park for... Four years before we made good. And by we made good, I mean you made good. You got a proper job. <laughs> and, and we um, got a condo, had a baby, and here we are. That's, that's, our, that's our short version. Uh, what, what, what would you fill in, other than how much we like mini- miniature golf? Uh, I'm not good at talking about myself, but yeah, that about covers it. Um, Do you want to talk about your job? Sure. Uh, I work at Netflix in the marketing, stand-up sketch, and uh, comedy series. So... What that means uh, basically is whenever there's a stand-up special or a comedy series, I most likely uh, worked on it with a crew of really awesome people. Uh, but my specialty or specific practice is helping develop uh, the creative with the team and then helping execute the production. Well, I, I, I am a huge fan of you as a director. I knew you as a director before I knew your beautiful, sleek, naked body. And you're really cool. I mean, one of the things that you really excel at and that anyone who has uh, been directed by you will say is that you make a dope set, man. You make a cool set. You make everybody feel really at ease. You generally bring the best work out of everybody that you encounter. And I can say as your life partner, oh, you do the same thing in a house, man. You are just the best member of the team. I appreciate the recommendation. That'll go on my link. But if any of you touch him, I'll cut you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, listen, I am so excited about this Krampus stuff, man. I have been, I have been marinating myself in the Krampus legend and the stories and the images to the point where I frightened our daughter. She's seen the pictures of the mask, and, and it didn't work out. We lost a couple nights of sleep. <laughs> I don't want to look at that book oh, with the yes. spooky Santas. Andrew Melby, love of my life. Why did you want me to research Krampus? I just think it's interesting. Uh, there's a movie called Krampus that uh, we watch all, every holiday season, and it's like a brilliant uh sort of dark comedy i think you would call it that it's it's definitely scary and it's definitely a christmas movie totally and it also has that like christmas moral that you're looking for in a good christmas movie and then it flips it on its head at the end i recommend watching it and ever since i saw that movie i I was vaguely aware of krampus before that 
but I just felt like there was more to know about this. You know, it's a deeper well than than uh, the movie. I mean, the movie did a fine job and it didn't need to go any further, but there was obviously, they were drawing from something mm-hmm. bigger. And so people can get into the sort of the holiday uh, aspect of it. Yeah. Well, it, it's such a great idea. And I actually think that most English-speaking Americans came to Krampus in a very similar way um, saw him, saw a visage of the creature known as Krampus, were immediately like, what is that? And then when you hear it is ancient, that he's been around forever, that he's older than Santa, if you get that far, it, it just continues to pull you in. So we're going to kind of start with like a surface explanation of who Krampus is, and then we're going to, you and me, are going to go deep into this legend and suss out some of the really cool origins and like tangents from this spooky-ass guy. So again, I said his shorthand version is that he is a spooky-ass Christmas devil. This is what he looks like. He's, he's got long, spooky-ass horns, a big, spooky-ass face, especially with a long tongue, like really long tongue, like Gene Simmons wishes yeah, spooky-ass tongue. Gross. And his mouth is usually open with that tongue hanging out. Right. Yeah, very like gross. Real. And the body's all hairy and beastie, and he's got either two hooves... Or one hoof and one human foot. Mm. He carries a variety of things from a staff to a whip to a club to a pitchfork to just wearing a basket, a giant basket on his back and kind of just generally carrying like a little stick. All of these implements generally used to drag children to hell. That's super okay, chill. that's his job. That's what he does. The research that I did has given me actually kind of an out <laughs> because um, Krampus, the, the creature, is an amalgamation. He is ancient. He is pagan. He is first referenced long before Christianity. Old and pagan. Then there's long stretches of time where we don't hear about about Krampus uh, for a while. And then he comes back and he's been reinvented and changed. And then a various geography will bring him up and he comes. So you can't fuck up Krampus is what I'm saying. I, as you know, girl, I do my research. I'm a proper historian, got the history degree, got the books, do all the stuff. So I'll here's- just, I'll just inject here the audience. They, that it literally, it's just a face in the book for like the last two and a half weeks, just at every corner. There's just, there's like a spooky ass Krampus book on every end table in the house and every uh, glove box of the car. And, uh, just various <laughs> states of red. So she ain't lying. I ain't lying. I ain't lying. I go hard on this stuff. And uh, and the, the best resource that I have that I'll recommend is a book called The Krampus and the Old Dark Christmas by Al Ridenor. He's actually an LA guy. He started in LA Krampus. Um, here. How much fun is that? Um, Then there's um, a book called The Old Magic Christmas and Yuletide Traditions by Linda Radish. This book was a lot of fun because it went even previous to Krampus and it has a bunch of crafts and recipes. Mm. So if you uh, follow us on social media and you check us out, you'll probably see me and or me and Melby making various things out of this book over the next uh, couple weeks while we're in Minnesota. Whips and chains for children. Whips and chains for children. children You know, it's adorable. They make their own noose. You can get everything from Joanne Fabrics, sponsored <laughs> by Joanne Fabrics. Not all of the stuff in there is spooky stuff. She's got just like snowflakes you can hang in the window too. But there, but secretly the snowflake is all made of like witches' hats. Anyway, um, and then a, a fun book called just Krampusnacht, Twelve Nights of Bless Krampus, you. <laughs> like you, which is uh, an anthology of twelve short stories that all star a various Krampus character, and it's great for reading around the spooky fireplace mm-hmm. and getting everybody kind of in the spooky holiday spirit. I watched a couple of documentaries, and of course, as, as Melby mentioned, the dope 2015 Universal Picture Krampus, starring Tony Collette and Adam Scott. It is fantastic, and especially after reading the research and then watching the movie again, 
you can, and you get the sense when you watch it without knowing the stuff. They do, they did their homework too. Like they, they, they do just the right amount of like creation and invention and innovation on the myth. And they have a lot of the tenets of the ancient ways woven into their Krampus. It it's feels great. like it. Yeah. I mean, it feels like it's not some like Hollywood schmuck being like, we need a Christmas movie, but something that pops something that this is something that like you could tell a group of people or a single person has been wanting to make for a while. Yeah. Totally. Can't recommend it enough. Totally. It's so good. And, and the other great thing about it cinematically is that it uses a ton of practical effects. Right. So the Krampus himself, as well as all the spooky characters that come around him are puppets and costumes and just brilliant movie magic. It's, it is a lot of fun. Where and when does Krampus come from? He is pretty specific geographically came from Germany, Austria, Northern Italy, the Alps, the Bavarian Alps, these places that they got winter girl. <laughs> Proper hard ass winters up in the Bavarian Alps when the seasons are not um, ambiguous when you go from spring to summer to fall to winter. And so their ancient and pagan traditions all, of course, were very in tune with these dramatic seasons and how these dramatic seasons change. He is one of a few of what are sort of generally referred to in this pagan time as these dark winter characters, these yuletide, um, winter solstice, spooky characters. The oldest, the one that predates Krampus, is a witch named Perchta. Oh, <laughs> let me just actually start before I go any further. I want to say I happen to know because of, um, you know, podcast analytics that I have about a dozen listeners in Germany. And I'm so sorry for what I am going to be doing to your mother tongue in this in this episode. I have me and Google did our best to get the pronunciations for a lot of these cities and towns and characters. And um, just know I'm going to do a bad job, but I'm going to do it um, loudly and consistently badly. That's all we can ask. <laughs> That's for. all we can ask for. So this witch, this like original witch, her name is Perksta. And her original role where she would appear is on this eve, one of the, as we are going into these deepest, darkest days of the end of the year, she was particularly focused on housekeeping. <laughs> All of these dark characters are just generally concerned with, are y'all ready for the shitstorm that is winter that is coming? Women, have you finished your spinning? Have you turned the wool into yarn and fabric? So Pershta comes in and if you've got unwoven fabric, wool fucking in your house, done. you're fucking, and when you're fucking done, Pershta. she guts you with her sickle pulls out your intestines and stuffs your carcass with straw i mean it doesn't feel like an overreaction to me <laughs> i think that you've you got to get your yeah i mean do you no questions she um th that was her harshest punishment I don't know. I think she could have gone. <laughs> she could have probably gone. But that's, that's where Krampus comes in. Um, but that was her her job. And you also would leave her food. Um, and if you, and you had to eat the right food. If you had like eaten some meat and it wasn't time to eat meat, another gutting would happen. She'd get that. When food is out. the right or wrong time? If you time. were supposed to leave food for her and you didn't leave out a, a, an offering for her, you get you get gutted. Uh, so Persia now Persia. One of her legends is that she was accompanied by kind of various dark creatures sometimes they were the souls of dead people then they were kind of ghosts then they were beasts like wolves and they're whatever anyway out of like Pershta's horde comes krampus and his specific look and his specific role right and then and he too is like checking in like are you are y'all ready so this tradition also like very specifically is 
your neighbors, your your fellow villagers, the townspeople in costumes. So this isn't like a lot of pagan stuff is a story or a something that a, 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 an oral tradition. People are telling each other these stories of Perched in the Krampus, or maybe they put up something in effigy, something in decoration, or maybe they leave out an offering. And these are the sort of tangible ways that they engage with these myths. Again, what makes this legend specific is that this is your townspeople put on the costumes and and portray Pershta and Krampus. Okay, and Pershta is like the like the Mick Jagger, and Krampus is like the Keith Richards. That's right. <laughs> um, so your neighbors dress up as these spooky ass people. They do parades. Uh, they put on plays. And here's the big one, Andrew Melby. I want you to buckle up. They do home visits, as in like. Door to door. Like you're, Jehovah's Witness? Worse. If Wait, you can Jehovah's believe it. Witness don't do door visits. Sorry. No, you're thinking Mormons. Mormons, yeah. The home visit is where shit gets really, really exciting. So I'm going to paint... these are a, real people going into people, neighbors' yeah. homes. I'm going to paint this picture for you right now, okay? You are a seven-year-old kid in the Bavarian Alps in pagan you know, fill in the blank, pre, mm -hmm. pre-Christian, before, before Christianity had gotten to you and that got to you in like the 300s, okay? And it's the Yuletide. Days are getting shorter. Nights are getting longer. You've harvested. Everyone knows this is the time of year where shit's about to get bad. And you're starting to hear, you see the images of the Krampus and it's the night of December 4th, usually the first week of December. And you first thing you hear is the bells. These ominous, jingling, deep-toned bells and scratching and growling and thumping and banging of drums. Then the door to your house opens. Oh, by the way, your family has dragged their biggest table, like your dining room table, into the center of the room. And you are seated on one side of the table with all of your family members standing around you. The door opens and in comes Pershta along with Krampus and maybe a bunch of other spooky-ass dudes that resemble them that are part of sort of Pershta's, you know, lineage that morphs over time. In the, in the words of my friend Stevie Kane, that's a nomate. <laughs> nomate. Mm -mm. It's a nomate for um, me. They, the, the witchy ones, the Pershtas, which are, by the way, always men in drag. The women do not participate in, in this it's at like all. It's like holy Monty Python then. Correct. Uh, they're mostly looking at the spinning and the women and the domestic and the house care. And the Krampuses are checking out the men and generally looking at your house. <laughs> okay. It's looking at your then, house, like checking your gutters to make yeah, sure it's clear of leaves. Only. I don't know if it was useful. Making sure that <laughs> I don't know if it was useful, but all there. the Christmas lights are up. <laughs> then check this out. There's a tug of war. They all of a sudden, all of these creatures start to tug on that table and they try to get at you, kid. They're trying to get you. And your family starts to participate in this like, uh-uh, not going to let you have him. And you pull on the table and you, you stand between them and the kid. And then at some point it's over. And sometimes they get the table and the kid and they throw them out in the snow. That they don't take them to hell. They just throw them out in the snow. And it's all very funny, very scary. Catholicism is not looking so bad at this point. So when it gets to them, they're like, you know what? <laughs> Creepy fuckers don't show up my house and pull at my dinner table. Like, this is like, no. little do they know. Little do they know. And then they're like, see you later tonight when I come and gut you and stuff your stuff your carcass full of straw. Now, of course, you vegetarian. No, thank you. Like, this is too much. It is it is horrifying. You know it's bad when you're like, give me some Catholicism. It That's sounds, right. It Priest, sounds nice and no safe. problem. Um, so why? Here's the thing. I don't think there's any way that you could even begin to understand such a tradition and certainly such a like long term tradition if you don't understand deep, dark winter and how hard and how ominous 
the oncoming of a deep, dark winter is. I think we can appreciate that. I think think that we can also. Um, Andrew Melby, would you please tell our listeners what it is you know about deep, dark winter? You know, around the time of November, everything in our dear hamlet of St. Paul, Minnesota, dies. We mentioned earlier that Melby and I lived aboard a houseboat. We lived aboard this houseboat on the Mississippi River in St. Paul, Minnesota, which is one of the coldest cities in the world. Um, It is particularly cold. The the latitude and the longitude, uh, the location of this, um, does have similar weather, actually, to these Bavarian Alps and and these various places that we're talking about in Europe. We don't have the same elevation, so it's obviously very different. But the idea of how long there is cold. Now, I'm recording this right now where we live in California, (laughs) which does have winter, but it's like in lowercase italics winter. It's it's 57 right now. Yeah, you get uh, longer nights and it is colder of course and there is a change in vegetation but uh, you're not if your car runs out of gas you don't die on the side of the road we would play a game when it was below zero as kids where you'd quick take off your glove or your mitten and stare at the back of your hand as it steamed like like it had just come out of the oven and you could and you would wait like holding your hand over a flame how long could you keep your hand out there and you'd see the skin on the back of your hand start to turn white and crack i mean friends there was a day i i heard and i confirmed it was true that um it was 44 degrees below zero in saint paul minnesota at that moment colder than the surface of mars sure and what happens to you when you're in this winter landscape is one thing. What happens to you when you are anticipating this winter, because you do it every year, you know what you're gonna feel like when it's January 15th and you're well past the holiday warmth and you still have four more months of darkness and cold and you and you scrape in the ice off your windshield and your face cracks and every cute outfit has a stocking cap and boots and you can your car won't start and the stakes are so high if you fall down and get hurt you get covered in slush and the salt destroys your car and your dog's feet are all cracked and chapped because they got to walk in this garbage and then you get you know, and it's just so fucking awful. And then spring and glorious summer and you live in the fullness of summer and then you start to get that ominous, fearful feeling when you look up and see a red leaf on a tree in late September and you go, it's gonna happen again. I'm gonna be in so cold for so long again. And, and, and this is the trade-off. This is also so much part of the Krampus legend because what I described to you sounds pretty awful. And you're gonna, you're maybe asking yourself what we asked ourselves all the time, which is, why are we doing this? Right. Do you remember the halo moons when it was below zero? I don't. It was when it was below zero. Uh, we would frequently on. We lived on aboard two different boats, and one of them, the hull was made of fiberglass. And so when it got below zero for a long extended period of times, we would have to go out with a long metal 
steel pole and break up the ice around the hull so that it wouldn't crush crush us and sink us <laughs> it's literally just a pole by the way it's not there's not a refined tool it's just some pole that was like taken off of fence somewhere yeah. it, it was a what 35 35 pounds, pounds it had no handle no um you were all, you were holding it with mittens while standing on snow covered wood over open water wearing tons of clothes no one hears you scream is the point you yep. drop that pole a you don't you need that pole too you can't go it's bad it's scary it was, we should have died um however when you were out in those moments it was so still there's there's a there's not a stillness mm -hmm. quite like that it, it really feels like the air is frozen it, it is and the tiniest particles of anything like moisture are frozen so there's like a twinkling mm -hmm. pixie it's not that it's snowing it's just that it's the air is just sort of crystallized. And if there's a full moon or really any illumination on the moon, it looks like it's surrounded by a halo. It glows in a way that you just don't see anywhere else. And there is unparalleled magic and beauty hand in glove with these darkest, scariest, worst, most tenuous nights of winter. Having a bonfire, the joy, the ecstasy you got being outside in this weather that just wants to kill you is designed to destroy your body. But standing with friends drinking around a big, warm, beautiful fire, it, it is a, an ecstasy that is hard to compare. I mean, it was a process that was really important, so much so that last year, 2020, we were unable to go home. We took our three now three-year-old daughter up a mountain to Big Bear. <laughs> and we did it in part because we needed snow. We needed to feel the scary chill that comes along with winter. It's important for our year-end traditions, and traditions are important. And so I am now going to proceed presuming that perhaps you would like to include a Krampus in your year-end tradition because you can make up your own traditions. This is what, as Americans and as everybody, you can always just make up your own tradition and decide it's sacred to you and that's what you're going to do forever. And maybe you want to introduce a little Krampus into your life. What do you think about that? introducing bringing krampus into our year-end tradition do you think we could do it i think it's a bad idea <laughs> I know, we're not why because it's about grabbing kids off tables and whips and no nah, like he that. gets nicer i'm gonna give you well, a i whole haven't version. heard about the other side so you're just saying it. what you've heard so far are hard pass oh why would you do that <laughs> you Santa's were so there. intrigued i didn't i was intrigued like who doesn't want to know how heart surgery works i'm not trying to get it Okay. Okay. No, that's very clear. You're very clear. I think you should. I think that you should include Krampus in your in your end of your today. I'm now a Krampus agent. I'm an agent for Krampus. I think that he should come. And here's the good news. Not only should you do it because it's fun, it's a safe traditional custom for you to um, assimilate. Okay. It's very rare for white people to be able to participate in an ancient custom from far away that involves dressing up in costumes and putting on masks. Like, no one's canceling you for Krampus, girl. Like, you can do, and are you a Christian? That's fine. You can actually dress up like a devil and dance around at Christmas, I'm telling you, you can't. <laughs> He's an uncomplicated guy because nobody owns him. He's already been a patch together. He was one of this witch Pershta's little dark characters. And then because he looked so cool, he was sort of separated. And then you get decades and decades and maybe a century or two where no one talks about Krampus. And then all of a sudden, somebody in this local village is like, ah, I don't remember great, great grandpa talked about this. And they just make it up again with what they remember and put them together. So you can't screw it up. There's no purists. Krampus purists free. out there. He's like, you don't have to license <clears throat> the image. Totally. 
Now, and here's what happened. I told you he, he originated in these pretty specific areas of Germany, Austria, parts of Italy, mostly in these Bavarian Alp areas. He, he expanded from there, for the most part, first in about 1800. And this is because people started migrating to cities, of course, big cities, Munich, Salzburg, <clears throat> Berlin, and, um, and, and in Austria in particular, um, they got the post office for the first time, their first independent post office. And what the post office needs to do, of course, is make money on postage. <laughs> they need people to send cards. And so they started a, a holiday card promotion, right? It makes a lot of sense. And one of the things they promoted in this 1800 is these Krampus cards because there's these hicks from out in the middle of these Bavarian Alps who have this weird ass tradition with this Christmas devil and they're going to send these cards home. So the, so the commission sort of comes down from the new Austrian post office, make us some Krampus cards to the artists. The artists, of course, are not these Bavarian hicks who have ever encountered <laughs> a Krampus and they're hearing about this guy the same way we are. They're getting the bullet point list, which is like, we need you to design some holiday cards with this Christmas devil. He's got horns, covered in hair, long ass tongue, eats kids. And they're like, what? <laughs> okay, you know. And, and they start to design these images and you can go to our site, you can look at them right now. They are captivating to a contemporary American eye because everything else about it is 1800s German Christmas aesthetic mm -hmm. with your Christmas carol ladies, you know, in the, in the 1800s dresses right. and the bonnets. It's all the trappings of all of our other kind of Christmas origin stuff. But there's the spooky ass devil in the middle eating kids and throwing them in the thing. And these artists were sort of punting with the devils they knew, which is the devil and pan and other hooved creatures. And they're sort of, you know, filling in the gaps. These cards become pretty popular. They, they say greetings from Krampus on them in a font that is very much the font you see on all the other cards that don't have the devil on them that we're like used to seeing, right? Flash forward another 200 years, right around the late 90s, early 2000s, we get us the World Wide Web. Heard of it. Mm -hmm. And long before it gets really bad, <laughs> we were just sharing cool pictures for like a really long time. And, and, and people, nerds about various nerd things would be like, who wants to nerd out with me? And that was basically what the internet did. And in about 2000, the World Wide Web gave the American World Wide Web audience these Krampus cards, these pictures for the first time. Mm. And we were like, what the hot hell is this devil on these Christmas cards doing? And people were like, it's real. And they were like, well, the devil's not, but what? They were like, no, these were cards that people would give each other in these places. We were totally intrigued. 2004, um, this guy makes a coffee table book <laughs> that features these Krampus cards. And we are even more intrigued. Then you get the movie Krampus about nine years later, right? Because it has, it, it was so immediately intriguing. But again, what this means is that for the, for most English speaking Westerners in North America, we became aware of Krampus around the same time as Sex in the City came out. <laughs> so like anyone who tells you that their grandma used to do a Krampus at their house is either lying or they're off the boat German grandparents from a, a very specific city in the Bavarian Alps. Now, let's say that you have decided, yes, I want a Krampus in my holiday tradition. I want to be Krampus. Maybe you want to make a Krampus uniform. And I've already told you you're off the hook. You can do whatever you want. There is no sanctity here. But you love the podcast Hilf. You like history. You like authenticity. And you want to do it, quote unquote, right. You want to do it as right as you can. Okay. If you're looking for an authority, it's in Bad Gaston, Germany. This is a small, Bad Gaston. 
please, someone in Germany, write me a letter. Bad Gaston is how you spell it. And if you're Googling it, that's what you're typing in. This is a small town in Germany where the author of the book my husband is currently flipping through went. The, the first chapter is him going to the Krampusloff the Krampus run that takes place in this bad Gaston. And so if you're if you're looking at hosting or attending, here are the must-knows. If you don't want to screw up, if somebody asks you a question, you want to answer it properly, here's what you must know about Krampus. One, Krampus is not the anti-Santa. He is also not a dark Santa. He is Santa's co-pilot. Okay. Actually, more appropriately and more accurately, he is St. Nicholas's co-pilot. Um, when I described the initial visit, the home visit from the Krampus and the dark creatures and the kids sitting on the other side of the table, your eyebrows were up in your hairline and up to the ceiling. Cause that sounds horrifying, right? Yeah. You can imagine when the church gets up there oh, to yeah. the Bavarian Alps good. finally. And good. they're like, Hey y'all, uh, we are the church and we're just curious. What do y'all do for Christmas around here? <laughs> Holy shit. Holy shit. Okay. Hard. No. Okay, witches and the devil dragging children. Absolutely not. And they hard paint, hard but... band. <laughs> so they put a band. They were like, no, no, no. Oh, all right. Okay, the bands don't work. For a lot of reasons, the primary reason the church band doesn't work is because they are out in the middle of nowhere. It's hard to get to these places. You come in and you go, now you stop that. And then you come, you know. And the bottom line is the Catholic church knows when to fold them. And has yeah. and has, especially when they come up against a pagan tradition, they they were well aware of how to just we can we can okay here's yeah. what we're gonna do right so the Catholic Church is like I right, never mind we ain't gonna make we ain't gonna make a ban we're gonna make a band <laughs> okay and we are just recasting we're just reimagining this and here is how the home visit goes now. Okay, so if you're that kid who sat on that side of the table, let's say, you know, you're now a grandmother and this is your grandchild. Here's how the home visit goes now. Okay, you all sit on the same side of the table. You wait for the people to come through the door. Okay, the door opens up. The first one in is St. Nicholas. Mm. He's nice. He's got a long white beard. He's carrying a staff. He's wearing all white. He's smiling. He's super nice. He does want to talk to you, kid. He wants you to uh, perform a catechism, sing a psalm, prove some Catholic knowledge that I need everyone to know and say and recite and blah. You may have noticed, uh, Melody and I are not Catholic. So in addition to mispronouncing and screwing up German words, um, forgive me, my uh, Catholics, if I'm like, you know, the stuff that you say <laughs> to the guy. I don't mm. Now, some of these home visits with St. Nick, they got a little dramatic. St. Nick might have been given in advance by the parents. Like, this twat keeps slapping the dog. Like, could you come in and be like, I see you slapping the dog. Stop that. Yeah. Or they leave a little note outside so that when St. Nicholas comes in, he can kind of pick up the note, do a little, do a little fake psychic stuff. Then if you did it all right, you get some presents from St. Nicholas. Then St. Nicholas backs up and goes, go at him, spooky guys. In his shadow. <laughs> He's sort of in his wake. And the same spooky ass freak shows that came out before do their same spooky ass shit. Okay. Krampus is now on a chain that St. Nicholas holds. Oh, that's nice. And if things go too far and the cacophony gets too big, he pulls Santa, the he, gimp he, back. Come on now. And, and Krampus is like, okay. But it's also like if the kid's been bad, he's like, go on then, get him. 
And one of the things Krampus does is sh- uh, put um, candy on the floor. And then when the kids come to get the candy, he kind of swats them with a, with this a broom. Great. This is great. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's really fun. Now, here, I would like you to know. Now, do you think that we could do a Krampus with Beatrice if we had the mitigating St. Nicholas? Today. You'd do it today? When she gets home from school. It'll be completely out of left field. <laughs> Here's Santa. Don't let go of the table. <laughs> Don't grab that candy. Um, and it really does beg the question, what about the kids? And the author of this book cannot relay the story that I've just relayed to you without asking the people um, how the kids do. do mm-hmm. How do the kids do with all this? Now, just like with anything that has to do with like fear and pain and difficulty for children, there are people who are always going to argue rightly and wrongly that ah, life sucks. The sooner you learn it, the better. You know what I mean? There's scary stuff. You're going to have to roll with this. We're tired of the everyone gets a trophy, uh, you know, hand sanitizer life. Like Krampus crowd is not a participation trophy crowd. <laughs> Correct. Um, I'm very curious to know what our listeners think, uh, if, if this is traumatic or not. What people who participated and who do this, of course, with love uh, point out is that, again, all of these people are people you know. Granted, these costumes are elaborate and you have no way of knowing who's underneath them. But they are your friends and your neighbors. And there's a process to this fear, which is you are the child, the parents, the family is all around you. They're protecting you. They're fighting for you. They're fighting with you. I told you how scary and awful winter was. Look, look, if you don't have enough food stored people in this house, you're going to fucking starve this winter. If you get rats into your food stores, you're going to fucking die this winter. Someone is going to get an illness. We're all inside. Do you have discord? Are people mad and fighting? Because you're all about to be stuck in this room in the dark with like a yo-yo for the next six months, right? So get it out is another thing. Mm -hmm. Get out the fear. Scream into the face of something that scares you and join arms with your family to fight against it. It's like a kind of actually gave them a lot of courage. And, And it's not like the Krampus can come and get you anytime. It's this one night a year. And when he's gone, he's gone. You know, you're not worried about kind of Krampus coming back at you. Um, also you get to, as you grow up, you get to be a Krampus. Like you start to recognize how the men in your life and in your line have a Krampus costume and you get to then be the person that is on the other side and it's a full rites of passage. Now that's for boys, (laughs) right? Girls don't in this period, you can be a Krampus now. I said, there's no rules, but in this traditional stuff, there were always, and girls were, as you can imagine, great targets. Cause if all the Krampuses are boys and men who just got to put a spooky mask on and got a stick and we're told just go out and hit whoever you like. They're like, where's Sally? You know, That's where's right. Tam- so the, the girls kind of got the brunt end of it. There is an exception. Um, in the city of Sandthafin, Sandthafin. Perfect, perfect pronunciation. <laughs> Thank you. Can you please spell I'll it? Sandthafin, <clears throat> S-O-N-T-H-O-F-E-N. Is there an accent to goo on any of that? Nope. Great. Um, there is a group of dark winter characters known as the Wild Barbaras. And they come out on St. Barbara's. I think I've seen them on the <laughs> next door app. They come out. They come out on the day uh, before, like December fourth. It's like, the, and it's Saint Barbara's Day again. I'm not Catholic, and and even if you are Catholic, actually, you might not know who Saint Barbara is because um, I think the Vatican eventually was like, nah. they like ditched a bunch of saints in the '60s, and I think Barbara got the axe. But Barbara, um, it doesn't even matter what her myth is. The bottom line is a that bunch these of saints. <laughs> I have this image of them in the garage at the Vatican, just like going through old boxes, and they're just like holding up like a like. Who's this? Lose him. St. Barbara? Yeah, I never bought that one. Lose it. She was 
Ugh. Go ahead, throw it. Like, <laughs> does it? Um, yeah, poor Barbara. But these these gals in Santafen, um, it's only women. You have to be over sixteen and unmarried. And they wear these giant, like primitive robes of like aprons and old peasants' dresses, and these crazy masks that are made entirely out of pine cones, sticks, leaves, lichen, moss, stuff that they found out in the woods. Mm. Then these 80 or so women and girls head to the downtown Santafen, the like city center, and they just chase people and hit them with sticks. Fucking great. And the and they especially go after the boys and uh, they basically hit your legs until you jump high enough. I mean, it sounds like a blast. Now there's a little bit a darker, another female uh, kind of Krampusy tradition, which is the dark Lucy's. They are found slightly outside of the region we've been talking about. This is in the Czech Republic and in Scandinavia. And the dark Lucy's are more like your original uh, Perchta. They got these beak, like kind of um, Tim Burton style masks, like that long mm-hmm. top jaw beak and the second, you know, long jaw. And they um, carry scissors, sickles, knives, and they're all about your guts, girl. They like twist your intestines out on a spit. They're sometimes featured, they carry severed heads and uh, severed uh, legs. Um, and um, they are very, very spooky and, and not nice at all. And, and it's probably part of the reason why there was a witch trial. Because hmm. you can't see a lot of this stuff. And, and you know, the, the, the Catholic Church was not as kind to the Pershtas as they were to the Krampuses. They didn't, were like, ah, we'll just put you on a chain and bring you along. They were like, ah, boy, we burn people for less than this shit. Yeah, like, this is a lot. This is a lot. So there were some Alpine witch trials in the 1490s that tell us a little bit more about the Dark Lucys, if you're curious. Um, but listen, that is where I am going to take a small break so that you can look through a few more pictures and make a fluid adjustment. When we come back, I'm going to give you even more Krampus material for your for your Krampusing pleasure. <laughs> I'm serious. I am trying my best to get a Krampus into our marriage, but I don't think Melby's buying it. <laughs> now, a reminder that you can find us on Instagram at Hilf Podcast, where we have pictures of Krampus, the Krampus cards, and links to all the fun and spooky books I reference. And while you're there... Follow me, follow me, follow me, follow My love. It is really fun to sit with you and talk about Christmas stuff. It is. That's also, right. Also, you're like, um, I don't want to put words in your mouth or anything, but you're kind of a fan. I mean, you listen to every episode I until do. now. I do. I listen to it usually before it comes out. Were you nervous once. about being a guest? Did you find, did you have any, any uh, butterflies get nervous? No, but I, well, I wouldn't say I'm nervous, but I don't generally like to talk a lot. It's true. Um, you may have already gathered this as a listener. Um, I talk all the time, and Melby goes, mm-hmm, most of the time. But I do, I do love talking about this stuff with you. It's a joy. I do too. And I, do, I think I, you should open your mind and open your heart a little bit more to bringing Krampus into our family. I'm not trying to, like, As long as you witness. open your heart and mind and bring in a third, I think that we, maybe the third can be Krampus. I think there's a compromise here. <laughs> I think everyone can win this holiday season. <laughs> um, and th- this holiday season in particular, I knew this was going to happen. As I researched the history of Krampus and who is Krampus and all this stuff, of course I am going to accidentally get the history of Christmas in general because so many, they're all tied together. And as I mentioned before, Krampus predates the baby Jesus 
and predates the figure of Santa Claus. So we kind of catch up with these two characters sort of in the latter term of, of Krampus's time. I want to walk you through how we get from St. Nicholas to Santa Claus because it is fascinating. And one of the things that it tells us is not only has darkness and death always been a part of the solstice and the Yuletide, but so has commercialism. <laughs> okay. So I mentioned the saints that we're talking 300 AD. There is a saint known as St. Nicholas. Okay. And the reason why he came to be a part of winter solstice Yuletide celebrations <laughs> is because in about the 320s or so, his relics, his bones started oozing. So if you're unfamiliar with how this, this works, is real. This is real. For religious uh, uh, people of all stripes, of all, all, basically all monotheistic religions have these relics, body parts, clothing, artifacts of the living saints and martyrs and gods that they are kept in various temples. And it's a tourist destination. The reason you have relics is because travelers come to visit them, to pray, to make sacrifices, to get some sort of divinity from it. And so relics were a big commercial tourism situation. So we have St. Nicholas's bones, and they start to ooze. In 323, the stuff starts coming out of them. I'm sure it's real. I'm sure there's some Ugh. scientific, and it's nasty. And people are stoked. They want to see it ooze. They want to get the ooze. They want to touch the ooze. And he becomes, he goes viral, <laughs> for lack of a better word. It's the Ninja Turtle ooze, it, it turns out. It's St. Nicholas's big moment because his bones started oozing. And so everyone's talking about Nicholas. Did you hear about the oozing bones? It's like, <laughs> and people are coming from all over Isn't to that touch true? the oozing Isn't bones. That you're famous after you die. Exactly. And so the people who make money... And are profiting and doing well because people are coming to see the oozing bones, of course, have it in their best interest to really push St. Nick, sell his little figurines, get people to come and stay and then eat while they're there and so on. So because he becomes very popular and because people have his stuff and they care about his bones, when they are throwing these Yuletide traditions, he becomes a, a good character to cast in your festivals, in your parades, in your play, in your plays, in your passion plays and all this stuff. You, you can use this figure of St. Nicholas. And he's really convenient and he fits into this myth because there's two things about the man St. Nicholas in his lifetime, the legends of, of him. One is that he saved children. Apparently one day he was walking to a town, he gets to an inn and the innkeeper has murdered three young schoolboys and put their bodies in a stew. And when St. Nicholas realizes this, he miraculously restores their bodies and brings them back to life. So he is obviously a friend to children. <laughs> that is one of his things. Yeah, that's a good thing to do. There's another story about him where he's similarly kind of moving about through the world and he hears of a father so poor he can't pay the dowry of his two daughters and he is going to have to put them into prostitution and not on St. Nicholas's watch. So anonymously in the middle of the night, he throws a couple of bags of gold through a window and this man is able then to pay his daughter's dowry and not have to sell them as prostitutes. Perfect system. <laughs> and there you kind of see this. this he's a friend to kids. He gives anonymous gifts come mm -hmm. through your window mm -hmm. at night. Uh, he has a long beard and this long robe. And so you're, you're, you know, kind of 300, 500 AD, you got to sell your play, your Yuletide kind of replacing winter solstice celebrations play. What do I do? And you cast Herod. Herod's a great character. He's King Herod. He's the nasty ass King 
who uh, ordered all boys under the age of two be murdered in and around the city of Bethlehem, trying to get to the baby Jesus. And an obvious foil to King Herod is St. Nicholas, the guy who restores dead children. So you can put on this great play of that horrible King Herod and the mm. baby Jesus, and here comes St. Nicholas to restore the children, and, and everybody loves it. And you can also have the gifts and the story of leaving anonymous gifts. And guess who fits right in there? Krampus. And the devil, he looks awesome, and he can do all of his kind of passion play stuff. So now we've got St. Nicholas has Krampus in chains. Around 1500, our friend Martin Luther <laughs> is like, Catholicism isn't perfect. And spoiler alert, he we get Protestantism, right? The split within the Catholic the church that begins Protestantism. And uh, A, no saints, girl. So you can't be St. Nicholas. Mm -hmm. We got to just like Luther took a page out of the whole, we'll keep what we like. We're going to plays and we're going to give gifts and we're all going to get together. Like same, 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 same. Long white beard. Love it. He's not a saint. No devils. <laughs> okay. Devil has been At completely cut from the script. Um, and this guy, he is just German. Uh, he's got a long white beard. No big deal. And he lives in the cold. <laughs> he just lives in the... In the cold. And boom, there you get Santa Claus. St. Nicholas Light. St. Nicholas Light. St. Nicholas uh, without the devil or the oozing bones. Krampus is older than baby Jesus. That is going to be in the episode description. <laughs> People, I'm here to prove it. I know. I, I haven't gotten, I, this is probably tempting fate, but I haven't gotten any mean emails yet. I haven't, I haven't done or said anything i think it's because i put fuck in the title yeah it's that like real the nerds out real sensitive people are like hits where i wanna <gasps> no i'm not gonna listen to that and that's fine i don't know if you caught or t had a little t tingle with some of the other origin stuff that you've heard so far in our tale the house to house visits right why does santa go to everyone's house on the night before christmas because these dark ass spooky characters from the Persia to the they come the night before saint nicholas day that's when they would arrive, right? Um, checking out if you're naughty or nice. That was, Pershta was doing that. Did you spin your wool, girl? <laughs> like, always making sure if you're doing the right thing, like checking in on you to see how things are. The jingling bells. Why does Santa's sleigh have these jingle bells? Well, because Krampus <laughs> and all these other dark characters always had bells. And one of the reasons Krampus and all the dark characters always had bells was because, again, further back, part of the origin of this, of this tale in this Yuletide wintertime thing was that the shepherds who had taken the livestock out of these Alps, you know, deep, steep valleys, they would have to graze their livestock, of course, really far away. And at the end of the season, when everything was getting slaughtered and getting butchered and getting put into stores, you bring all that livestock back. And then they collect the bells. And then they come collect their money. Mm-hmm. So when you start to hear all these big jingling bells, long before the association with Yuletide, you're like, them shepherds come to get their money. Mm -hmm. And one of the added benefits of all those bells going all over the place is that if you're an employer who owes someone money, you're like, there's a lot of them. They're all coming. I should pay this guy. <laughs> right. right? Um, leaving out milk and cookies. This, again, goes back to Percy. You better leave that food offering for her. This is a, the, I mean, the reason you do it is twofold. It shows that you have just enough. You have enough to leave mm. a little extra for someone. It's a right. way to prove it by leaving a little more than you need out for me. And girls hungry. And girls hungry. She's got a long night of intestines she's spinning. Gonna, yeah. She's, you, know, pull, you ever pulled someone's intestines out of their belly? Yeah. Duh. Because <laughs> they break. The idea is like peeling an apple. You want to try to get it yeah. in one long, continuous strand. Yeah. It's, it's like making pasta yeah. from scratch. Um, and also, there's always that ominous, playful. Like, one of my favorite Christmas carols starts with, 
you better watch out. Mm -hmm. You better not cry. Like we just kind of know in our bones that there's just an underlying ominous tone to this whole time of year. And that's why. Um, Okay. So you're like, oh, I'm in. Dawn, you've done it. You've converted me. My husband is not thinking this, but perhaps one of you out there is like, yes, I got to have a Krampus in my life. What else can enrich this experience? Here's some things you might want to insert into your Krampus loaf, your Krampus run. Your Krampus Nacht, Krampus Night. Bless you. <laughs> the Rempler. The Rempler is a fight between two meeting Krampus troops. So if you live in this bad Gaston and other places where there's like, like a, a West lot Side of, Story sort of thing, <laughs> they kind of sna- it's hard to snap with hoops. But yeah, they <laughs> clap. They kind of go. But if you encounter, hooves. if you like find yourself coming up against another Krampus, oh, you have to fight they're pretty stylized they can get really violent but they're generally really stylized usually your saint nicholas will call it off like your competing saint nicholas's will be like that's enough and pull your chain and then you're done um and it always ends in a hug that's nice which is nice um you could burn a witch in effigy oh that's a very traditional thing to do in a lot of places Pershta, this is a fun little sub- tidbit you can imagine your kids are sitting around after one of these visits and they're curious dad yeah, uh, who they're was wondering. that? <laughs> they're wondering. They got okay. some questions. Wow. If uh, their guts aren't pulling out. Who are they? And are we safe? Where's and, me guts? And one of them is where, where did they go? Where are they when they're not here? Yeah. Where do they go? Where do they live? And so there was a lot of myths that Pershta lives in these various caves. They'd be like, oh, well, she goes, and you just point over there. Uh, a couple They're peaks, not going couple to peaks find over out. That cave. Oh, aren't they? Eventually, some little twat is going to be like, I want to see that cave. And there's a lot of myths about there's like two or three of these caves that have over the various centuries been like the one you know probably spooky sounds come out of them or somebody went in there and died or whatever it is mm-hmm. my favorite is there's this one cave that is called venusburg so in the imaginings and the and the creations of legend around Pershta and her various caves and who are the people that are all around her what are they ghosts are they dead kids are they wolves are they demons like who goes with her um, one prevailing <laughs> storyline is that her entourage is just all damned women, women damned for being uh, sluts. And they're out in that cave together all year round, just being sluts. And if you go in there, they'll fuck you to death. <laughs> I'm in. This is part of Krampus. This is part of Krampus. <laughs> it's one of the traditions that okay. you may or may not want all right. to adopt. All right. I know. Um, if, what number you, is that? That's number two. Okay. I'm you can, um, you could pole vault um, during the bands. The bands. Into the cave. They, okay. We're moving on from the cave. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> Venusburg is a myth. Um, I'm pole Krampus vaulting is... into the cave. <laughs> we started and the And I don't ep- care who comes in. Nobody's pulling me out by chain. St. Nicholas can suck up, but not leaving Venusburg. Um, but you could pole vault into the cave, but generally the pole vaulting is because these bands, I told you very shorthand, the Catholic Church was like, no, 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 and tried to ban this whole thing outright. And then they came in and they assimilated. Of course, there's a small series of events between trying to ban it and going ahead and letting it go. And one of them was apparently in various regions like this, shepherds and other people who were often the Krampuses and the people in costume, they got around. And evade, evade stuff with these poles. It was, you know, tall peaks and stuff. So they would be able to sort of stick a long staff and the, get themselves over a creek, get themselves over a craggy rock onto another whatever. So during Krampus Lof, when they were trying to instill these bands, these guys in these spooky ass devil horn masks with their tongues hanging out would take their poles. And that's how they got away from the authorities as they would mm. just sort of pole vault through. So then the Is myth that where we evolved. Is we get pole vaulting? 
I, I mean, I'm, I think that it evolves sort of independently next from episode. <laughs> next episode, maybe. Um, and so then they sort of incorporated it into the Krampus myth so that you would come into a house and sort of Cirque du Soleil esque, you could use your pole vault to get up to the ceiling and you'd make marks on their ceiling or you'd otherwise a Krampus could use his pole vault to like bounce around real creepy. I know. Oh, here's one of my favorites. Okay. You can get your buddies together and in your Krampus, you can wear these big ass hats. Okay. There is this town in the Tyrolean Unterland, where in their Krampus law, in their tradition, and known among the Krampus and St. Nick, they have these dudes who wear float. The best word for it is a float on their head. It's yeah. more I like saw, the I saw rose. These pictures in this yeah. book you had. Yeah. It's more like the rose parade. Yeah. Than a hat. A hat, because they have like a full taxidermied reindeer standing right. on a cliff with like rocks and flowers all around it. And it's on their head, but it's like resting with gear on their shoulders. And they walk through town with these things. And it shows off what they do for a living or what kind of tools they have in town. It's very cool. And I feel like, again, you've got a Rose Parade audience um, who would probably love to see your big ass hat. I mean, yeah. You can also, there's there's another creature I find very compelling, is a Habergeeb, which mm. is basically take a Krampus in your imagination, okay? He can keep or lose the horns, but the face, the mask, is a skull of a giant animal, and it has a hinged jaw. Yeah. And he's on four legs. So that means it's either two of you, one's the butt, mm-hmm. or it's one performer with poles down so it looks like you're a four-legged right. creature real spooky and these guys in the towns where they appear these haber glebes with their hinged jaws will often scoop up snow and dump it on people's heads and it's where you can drop your offering if you want to give the troop money you can drop it into these guys jaws so one of the things i really wanted to know and the author of this book seemed to want to know and people have asked me since i've told them i was researching this is the why like why do we have it and and i already told you it's very patchwork and amorphous and it's like hard to pinpoint but the bottom line is it's fun yeah it's fun it's it's people dressing up in costumes hanging out with their friends and hitting each other with sticks. And the author of this book made the point, I think, better than I could, which is we have a tendency when we are really distant from another group of people, either through time or geography. Those people are so far away from me. And we something about them we don't understand. We tend to just immediately ascribe it to want, ignorance, or fear, mm-hmm. that they're simple. And we don't give enough weight to just the power of joy and how fiercely protective people are of their joy and their fun and their and their happiness as they should be (laughs) as we all should be that we would think that because we see it from history as something frivolous that people wouldn't fight and die and go to great lengths to preserve these things and they do it just because of how much they love to do it well and you have to do something with those extreme climates you know it said like in minnesota what you you have to sort of like live with the, you have to play with the winter you have to participate in it you know and, and and it's really truly hell unless you're out there ice skating or snowboarding or sledding or just enjoying it in some other way and so i'd imagine that especially way back when people had a lot of time and also not a lot of time mm-hmm. you know between trying to get ready to not die and so to mark the end of a season and the beginning of a new one is probably really important to f- change your mentality from one to another. And I think that's what a lot of the tradition feels like it's getting at. Mm-hmm. It's just attempting to denote a moment in time, celebrate 
another year of that time and then move into the next phase and sort of prepare as a community to to do that and like you said have fun have fun and you you said they probably don't have a lot of time on your hand their hands and you're right until like right then you're right all about once you've got your food stores and your water stored up and your family is all together and the snow comes in guess what you ain't got nothing but time and this is when you're gonna tell stories also i think there's an element of it that is just not denial like it seems really obvious that you can't spend any more energy saying it's going to be okay there's nothing to be afraid of and everyone is going to be fine and when you as a parent and you as an you can't say to your kids that with truth and you can't look in the mirror and say it to yourself you're like we're about to really go into a meat grinder here there's something kind of nice then about being like well let's have the devil come on in and let's wrestle with him yeah and then let's win the wrestle with the devil and then we'll just keep our fingers crossed it's not as big of a deal like negative 20 isn't a big deal when you beat the devil i fought the devil it's a big deal and and uh so be the devil for someone else to fight and it just the whole beautiful thing be the devil for someone else to fight Ooh, did i just knock your socks off there (laughs) that ain't all i'm knocking off (laughs) let's end the podcast Um, well, listen, babe, I, I know I haven't entirely convinced you that we can have a Krampus, but I, I love you very, very much. I am really, really grateful that you sat down uh, with me and took the time to hear me tell you all about Krampus. This is one I, I, I know that it'll be harder for you to listen to because no one likes listening to their own voice. But I hope you hear the love in mine. I do. And I love you, too. And you know what you have? Let's bring Krampus into our marriage. <gasps> He sounds nice. They sound nice. It sounds nice. Whatever version of it. Oh. But I don't think we need to like have Beatrice come in and start throwing sticks at her and shit like that. I think that you could probably try like just like maybe just get a mask that hangs on the wall. I don't think that they should gut her under any circumstances. No. I have boundaries. Maybe emotionally. Sure. I mean, look, the reality is we fast forward through the ghost of Christmas present in the Muppet Christmas Carol still. So I don't know that we should go too hard in the paint with this I think, Krampus you know what character. I think you do? I think that you make her the Krampus. You get a baby Krampus mask and we give her um, all the tools and we're like, you got to go scare all the adults. That's and a then good idea. she'll be super empowered by it. And then you slowly get like, hey, I have a Krampus mask too. Let's Krampus together. And I think you just start by giving her the wheel. And then you give her the keys to the car and you say, Go get me some cigarettes. Leave. (laughs) We're going to start smoking again. God, I love you. Merry Christmas. I love you too. Merry Christmas. Thanks again to Andrew Melby. What a dilf, huh? (laughs) Now, we originally recorded that about two years ago. Our daughter is now five, and no... We have not yet introduced Krampus to her holiday tradition. <laughs> the elf on a shelf still makes her cry, so maybe next year. As for this year, from Hilf to you and yours, Merry Christmas. And if that's not your bag, man, I hope that whatever you do this time of year, including absolutely nothing, is good. You know, I hope you like where you are. Now, I know that this is a podcast and you can't see me, but I have a lot of tattoos. And among the first ones I got are inside each forearm. On my left, a clock with no hands. And on my right, a compass with no directional needle. And they are there to remind me that it is always right here, right now. To not concern myself too much with the future or the... (laughs) 
past. <laughs> but to regularly remember that time and distance are concepts that require a perspective to be measured, a point from which they are defined. And that point is always you, me, the one looking. So a toast from a history fucker <laughs> to you and our shared unknown blank slate of a future. 2023, your history. Ha 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 ha.